Welcome back to the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, where we're talking about Penny Dreadful, Episode 3, Resurrection. back penny faithful we're here talking about episode three of penny dreadful season one resurrection i'm one of your hosts derek hi there penny faithful is uh i am one of your other hosts john and uh i'm i'm ray hello everyone <laughs> i'm glad to be here <laughs> our third co-host ray yes uh, yeah really good i'm not too sure whether this penny faithful is is tripping off everybody's tongue as no as it normally does there's john. a lot of peas there is yeah yeah <laughs> a lot of peas, but sure, yeah, faithless. Or I, I did think of saying dreaders, mm-hmm. uh, but then people might think it's dreadlocks. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Or um, I think I think we were talking earlier on about uh, about dreadful listeners to the dreadful podcast, which uh, yes, we don't ever want to mm. call our listeners dreadful. Do we? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> we no, can call our no. podcast dreadful as a joke because we think the podcast hopefully is quite good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, but we get the joke, so it's okay. Yeah, no uh, feedback on that point. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's jump into our discussion on episode three. Uh, this episode was directed by Irish director Dervla Walsh. Um, we discussed her work back on the Punisher season one she directed episode five okay yes yeah. i remember that because uh i think yeah we were just like going dervla is one of those names that is so unusual yeah. in terms of how it's spelt and mm-hmm. how it's pronounced um very typically uh sort of irish yes. as well exactly. in that sense <laughs> exactly and as we mentioned before a lot of the show was filmed in ireland so uh so getting in a local director like dervla was quite quite cool she uh, k- kicked off most of her career back then but really good to see that she's still working you know five six years on she's still working in these hollywood tv shows uh most recently she directed an episode of handmaid's tale as well so um likes the dystopian uh likes the dark like uh, <laughs> like punisher so uh nice to have her yeah on definitely and also just speaking of irish names what we didn't mention possibly oh, in the yeah. previous episode is Brona is Gaelic for for sadness, oh. uh, and of course, oh, okay. her storyline does get sad. Yes, for sure. It does. Yes, it does. Um, uh, yes, the, the the term for I'm very sorry is uh, is Tabron Urim, which is I have sadness on me, is the literal translation of that. So Brona does come from that. I do feel sorry for any child who may have watched this show and has the name Brona and realized that their parents were obviously very unhappy to have their first child. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Brona. It's, it's really harsh, isn't it? yeah that's a harsh truth my gosh isn't it uh once again as we mentioned before these episodes are being written by john logan the showrunner for the show um john do you want to give us a synopsis of what happens in episode three resurrection sure a flashback reveals victor frankenstein's motivation for delving into the questions of life and death flashbacks also show the history of victor's firstborn The creature was born in a state of unending agony, and Victor fled, rejecting his creation. It eventually came into contact with actor Vincent Brand, who gives him a job working with the stage equipment and rigging at the theatre. He has a very particular request for his maker, a female companion. After her experience at the seance, 
Vanessa continues to have a spiritual link with Mina, who is desperate to be saved from the creatures around her. It leads them, including Ethan Chandler in need of money, to London Zoo, where they have an encounter with wolves, among other creatures. Yes, London Zoo. Or um, the Phoenix Park in Dublin Zoo. Yes. One or the other. It still looks like a Victorian zoo at the time, so uh, so they, it's a nice a nice location for that scene. Uh, and also a really interesting moment here with Ethan as he uh, as he quells the uh, oncoming wolves, the oncoming pack. Um, hmm. Indications of where this show might be going in the future. Yes. Yeah, th- there's mm. really, really uh, now a kind of push yeah. with Ethan's character, I, found, I find, with this as well. I mean, it's been very ambiguous to begin with. Um, but yeah, this we kind of start to get a sense of what might happen. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their curses, right? Yes. <laughs> Anybody else jump out of their seat with excitement when you saw the creature asking for the bride of Frankenstein? Anybody else go, oh my God, that's the way they're going to go with this show. That's awesome. I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, yeah, the, the whole interaction between Victor and, and the creature was mm-hmm. just very reminiscent of of the um, Mary Shelley um, story, classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it was um, Rory Kinnear, he's a, a brilliant actor, I find. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. yeah, really good. He's yeah. had so many wonderful parts uh, as, as the years have gone on. So Absolutely. many things you see him in and so many things you've seen him in before this. Like, he's almost unrecognisable mm. uh, as the creature in this show. But Rory Kinnear has been in uh, loads of James Bond movies, uh, has been in, yes. in the wonderful show Years and Years in 2019. Um, he's just one of those characters that are one of those character actors that appears in so, much, so many things. But this is almost iconic as a role. Uh, for him, the, the seasons he spent on this show. Um, let's get into our big moments for episode three. John, do you want to kick us off with your big moment for the episode? Yeah, and speaking of years and years, although not the TV show, mm-hmm. uh, the the band, um, it is Ollie Alexander, who plays Mr. Fenton. Mm. Um, again, it is, I'm underestimating how much I love this character mm. played by Ollie Alexander. Um, I, there's something just captivating in terms of that pale face that happens right at the end of the episode emerging, uh, from the darkness oh, of, yes. of Malcolm Murray's cellar mm-hmm. to kind of herald the arrival of his master as he sort of speaks to the darkness. Um, it's just a mm-hmm. great, uh, bit of filming. Um, and I really like how, uh, it, it's played, um, because, with miss with the arrival of mr fenton uh, as a prisoner chained up in uh, in the cellar he basically inserts doubt into this this company he sows division and disruption um amongst the group um because of the violence expressed towards him by by malcolm um like we just have this um uncompromising sort of beat down of him by mm. Malcolm Murray. And again, it's something that's uncomfortable to watch. I, I think that's one of the great things about this series in, in terms of language, in terms of sexuality, in terms of um, all these, they really do not shy away from any of it. They, they allow it to speak for itself and um, because it is a part of the world. Um, and it's really uncomfortable to watch. I do like the fact that um, Fenton does lick up his own blood that mm. is flowing from his mouth from this beat down. Uh, I, I've kind of put, don't waste a drop, you know, right. this kind of, mm. ooh, can't waste it, um, mm. which is good. Kids, remember, always <laughs> clear your plate. Um, <laughs> no, always clear, clean your plate. <laughs> always eat up those greens. Um, and... 
<laughs> I, I I love this, and the, the uncomfortableness here is you know it's projected through Ethan, mm-hmm. um, who questions really, uh, you know, what are we doing? We we're, it's almost it's torture, and then this idea that they're going to experiment on him uh, as well, but. Just going back a bit as well, I've probably gone slightly too far in time. You know, he's captured at London Zoo mm-hmm. where because of Vanessa's kind of connection with Mina, she, she's the sounds there and she connects it with London Zoo. And um, Fenton has decimated the monkey population. <laughs> it would seem chewing on, on the poor monkeys in London Zoo, but that's where he's captured. He has exotic by... tastes. Blood, <laughs> well, absolutely. He? Um, and he's just, um, yeah, he is a servant to his master, mm. uh, and his master has effectively got him inserted as this mole into Malcolm Murray's house. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's really, really nice. I think there's, uh, in, in any case, you know, when they're in London Zoo, they all have this feeling that something's not right. Certainly Vanessa, she kind of connects in with that. Um, and again, there needs to be a compact formed here uh, as they move forward because uh, of, I suppose, the aggressiveness in which they're treating Mr. Fenton. Um, and, you know, one by one, they all kind of nod to Malcolm as he suggests, you know, we have to move forward as one if we are to move forward. Mm-hmm. But Ethan doesn't really connect him with that group, but he just points to he kind of looks at Vanessa and says I'm with you mm. um which is a really interesting distinction uh for this character yeah. um and and Vanessa though is the one that kind of drives this idea that she is happy with what's happening to Mr Fenton um as well and sort of propels Malcolm to this idea of making sure everyone else is happy with it in a sense or agrees to it um but then after Ethan has come on board, you know, she does turn to Malcolm uh, and in front of everyone kind of calls him out for maybe slight uh, duplicitous underhand nature because um, th- this idea that maybe Mina um, really is is tricking uh, Vanessa here, that he thought something wasn't right. Um, and I-, I liked that a lot because this, this kind of... The, the group doesn't splinter, but there's clear divisions um, of those who who will kind of act on, on Malcolm Murray uh, uh, and his word. And then there's Ethan, you know, as the American, as the outsider, mm-hmm. he, he has this different take. Um, and I, I I thought this was all really, really fascinating. And I just think the way Ollie Alexander plays Mr. Fenton, because he's the driver on this, yeah. really, at, you know, you just completely buy into it. I mean, I think his turn of phrase, uh, I love the fact um, that he he goes, um, well, I, I, I know the name Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he, he knows about Vanessa Ives and everyone's why, how is that? Mm-hmm. You know, again, he's he's troubling. He's... Um, he he upsets the apple cart here, and yeah. that is is really good. I think another another character, the use the youthfulness of Fenton. Um, the it's another interesting thing about him. He's supposed to be kind of the street urchin on the streets of of the Victorian era, mm. and he's been brought in to be this monster effectively. So there's almost that point where the rest of the characters want to save him from from this uh, affliction that he has because he is such a young a young kid effectively, but he's actually 
got a violent tongue on him and he's got a violent yeah. uh, reaction to everything that's going on. He doesn't want to be saved from this. He knows he's now immortal. He knows he now has this power in him that none of them have. And I love how he plays it. He's such a fascinating kid on screen. Yeah, I think I think if you eat monkeys, I think it's pretty hard to <laughs> <laughs> uh, to save that person. Uh, no, uh-huh. re- really good, really good performance by um, by Ollie Alexander as well. And and a point mm. of interest for his character Fenton because um, again, it's it, it pricked my ears because again, that's just like one step closer to you know the big bad Dracula. Um, so it's, yeah. it's alluding to that again, uh, cause he's very much featured in, in obviously Bram Stoker's Dracula and, and in yeah, prior right. movies. Uh, so yeah, very, um, very interesting to see him in here. Uh, and yeah, the dy- dynamics with the team, it, it starts to kind of, you start to see where people are forming their, I guess, alliances with. I find it very mm-hmm. interesting that Ethan and Vanessa, um, Ethan's kind of drawn to her. I think maybe because she's the one that kind of recruited him. Um, there's something yeah. there and, and that's just the, the start of, um, we'll see it later on in the episodes, but uh, there is a dynamic between the two. I mean, we saw it with the, um, with Vanessa telling him about the de- Demi Mond as well. So, um, there's, uh, yeah, there's just something there that I found quite interesting how he sides with her. Although what you're saying as well, um, she may have been influenced by Mina. She, she she's actually um, promoting this sort of behaviour towards Fenton. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, that's um, quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I, I like that that moment around the fireplace where you know they they kind of form this compact. Um, you know, in I think Malcolm says it's not for the weak or for the kind. Um, but you know, you have a bit of a standoff between uh, Victor. And Ethan as well. You know, Ethan kind of this hostler, sort of very confident, this gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Um, and Victor being this sort of almost sensitive poet and, and scientist. Um, but Malcolm again says, it's surprising to see you suddenly averse to violence to Ethan. And, and, um, Victor just says that's because it's not towards the Indians uh, in, in oh, yeah. North America. <laughs> and he has a, a really interesting line that, you know, yes, you pacified the Red Indians to extinction. It's just that kind of mm-hmm. um, whole notion. And so Ethan has this issue with Fenton, but again, it's his dark past. And maybe it's because he has kind of moved on, regrets, has this... Uh, regret around what's happened mm-hmm. but also then the suggestion that he is somehow involved with these these brutal um sort of murders that are happening across london as well um and certainly with what happens in london zoo uh with his um his moment with that lead wolf i presume it's a wolf mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I, I, um it, yeah. it is really good to to, to suggest there's a bit of uh, lycanthrope uh, within him, dare I say it. <laughs> he could Spoilers. Be, <laughs> he could be part Aussie as well. I mean, I got a I got a very crocodile <laughs> Dundee vibe with him just doing the uh, taking down the water buffalo. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, he's just he's just well trained with animals. Just yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, he's a he's a dog whisperer, a dog handler. There yeah. you go. There you go. Walkies. Um, Overall, that's it. That's it for Fenton. Yes, it is. But I think just my f- final part on this is, you know, I, I really wanted to add Mr. Lyle as well because I think the sporting cast here, they all have their moment, and I think none more so than 
Fenton. Mm. He's in two episodes, and I absolutely adore this character. Um, and I've never really been drawn to the character in the other movies or anything like that. Um, there's something that's pulled out here. The 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 creepiness that um Ollie Alexander plays him um is so good. And again, I, as I say, it's another enduring image from the show for me. Yeah. Is his pale face in the darkness calling out to his master. Mm. And it's, it, again, I don't want to say iconic. I've already used that for seance. But for mm. me, it's just so, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, I, And I, I kind of get drawn into that. It's with music, with the imagery of it. Yeah. And I think that's a big player for me. I, I kind of, I don't know whether I'm one of these people that uh, literally does not judge a book by its cover, but I buy a book because of its cover. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of like attracted towards that kind of thing. And and here, the Dervler and in terms of what John Logan have done with the writing, that they've, they've produced this this character that is both a nod to the original book, but they feel to me as though they've just brought him on so much more as mm. to how he inserts himself into this show for two episodes yeah. and uh that disruptive element to this group uh, mm-hmm. it's really good absolutely um ray you're going to talk about another new character in your big moment yeah i um i thought i, I was really um taken with vincent brand i thought he was mm. really um he brought a lot of warmth to this uh, episode uh, yeah mm-hmm. much of this episode was about the journey of the creature um one of the i just want to call it out now one of the big uh, scenes that I really enjoyed was the birth of the creature. It was uh, it was horrific, um, just screaming, blood covered, yeah. um, reaching out towards Victor. It was really a, a, a terrifying kind of scene. And I thought, again, brilliantly Absolutely. done, brilliantly shot. Um, but we yeah. see a lot of struggles that the creature uh, he is basically abandoned, uh, but he is taken under the wing of uh, Vincent Brand, who, you know, doesn't mind a little tipple himself. Um, he doesn't care about, <laughs> <laughs> about you know, appearances. And there's mm-hmm. something warming about him not yeah. discriminating at all, this this yeah. individual. And uh, so he gives... Um, he gives a creature a purpose and gives him a, a mm-hmm. home. And uh, I thought he was a very interesting character. I'm glad that there's more to him we see in the in the subsequent episodes as well um yeah but yeah the big moment was this turn turn of face of uh, of the creature who could could have easily gone down the path of a, a murderous um you know bloodthirsty monster but yeah. he's actually turned around and um is quite industrious working in the theater absolutely yeah, yeah. What does he say? He says, "I I discovered kindness and, and found a home." Um, uh, it's, yeah, uh, it, it is a really nice uh, moment. Um, I think the other thing that touched me on on this was where, um, as you say, Ray, where, where uh, Vincent says, um, "You know, he takes him in, but he says this is a place where the malformed find mm. uh, a place where the different can take flight. It is the theater." Mm-hmm. I think personally, I find that quite important. I think you know, in terms of the diversity in, in, in the arts. And I, I think it also connects with um, Mr. Lyle in, in the sciences as well, mm. that his eccentricity, his flamboyancy um, probably wouldn't be tolerated down the mine or in the steel uh, furnace or, you know, in, in the cotton mill. Uh, but 
it, it is where they can thrive in that time as um, people of whatever you know vincent calls them says malformed or of different persuasions and i that is um and in terms of you know that kindness element Mm -hmm. and it's also nice that that the show provides that i think as well like the light-hearted moments uh, because otherwise we get a lot of blood yeah it keeps the balance to the show absolutely i think that's a very important line as well because with it he, he just assuages anything that the creature may have feared or or may have doubts with, and it's it's just such a um, comforting thing to say, I find, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So again, it just again it just shows Vincent Brand to be just basically a really good dude, and, and I really like yeah. I really yeah. like that. So yeah, it, it's just that instant instantly welcoming type of character that he is, and I think mm. it's really important because again, remember these are all love letters to penny dreadfuls and the the simple nature of the penny dreadful is you know three pages in you meet the monster and then by the end the monster is defeated that's kind of the the central premise of it uh here we introduce the creature in such a violent way in episode two and we hear his backstory here and how he's how he's been created and to have that moment where somebody looks at him and isn't seeing him as a creature for the first time um because he's not going to judge him um is a really important facet of the show overall you Mm. know this idea that you can't just look at somebody and go they're that type of person that's the type of thing they are you know uh, if you think about one of the biggest monsters in the show really is dorian gray as we said before and he's got a beautiful look to him uh, as opposed to someone like the creature who has got a beautiful mind hidden behind this uh, visage that was given to him by victor frankenstein basically yeah, sewed together and, and, and he was stuck with it kind of thing and mm-hmm. um, that kind of leads me on to my big moment really for the episode because i'm also going to cross over a little bit with your point array because i think the history of this character, the creature, uh, who is not named uh, as of yet, um, a, a very big point for him really is that uh, Proteus, the other version of the reanimated man that uh, the Victor Frankenstein uh, created, was named very quickly, chose his own name for himself, whereas the creature is left being the creature. Um, I love the battle of wills between these two characters as well, as each one of them calls each other demon. Um, I love that they choose the same term to describe yeah. each other, you know, and it's just all about perception for each one of them. And understandably, the perception of the creature to Frankenstein is that he is a total monster because not only was he brought back to life without asking for it, he was left alone because he was scared and screaming in the lab and scared off Victor Frankenstein, who left and moved to London, left him behind in his lap, locked the door behind him and ran off to London, you know? Um, this this person that wasn't allowed to have any moments of, uh, of explanation as to what he was doing there is just left alone with a pile of, of poetry books, a bed, and that's it. And he had to learn to see who he was. He used the, as he said, the window to the world um, in, in the room to see what was going on outside until he felt comfortable enough to leave and comfortable enough to create his own persona. And I think that juxtaposition within his language and his tone as to the the way that he's created is such a, a, a great character, I suppose, the way he's able to match Victor Frankenstein in terms of the language he uses and the poetry he uses because he spent st- time studying the things that Victor Frankenstein was in love with. He seemed to be hopeful that he was going to impress his creator when he eventually met him until he realized he was being left alone by this awful, awful man, basically. So, uh, so that's where he's developed as a, as a character. And I think it's, it's a really great take, uh, on, on the creature, on the monster. Yeah. Yeah. I think with that interaction between Victor and the creature, you still mm-hmm. get behind the creature after, even after what we saw in episode two, 
what he mm. did to yeah. Proteus. It's yeah. a very um, fascinating thing that he's that we actually turn around and we. I was I wasn't say rooting for him, but he was making mm-hmm. very compelling points to Victor. Absolutely, um, and yeah. and it paints a really bad picture on Victor as well. Like what he did, yeah. basically abandoning. Like how would you feel if you entered the world and the first thing you saw was yeah. someone running away and and you being abandoned? That's he said something along those lines. Yeah. Well, you think about it, like you know the birth the birth of a child. Um, mm. Most children, as they come out of, uh, uh, and enter the world, the first thing they may do is cry. If you were most people and you're having your first child, the cry of a baby is not the most wonderful thing in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, would you run away and leave the baby behind uh, as it's just entered into the world? <laughs> not many people would. You know, Victor chose this. Victor yeah. was the one that created um, this reanimated man and then ran off and left him because he came into the world screaming, oh, no, uh, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to have someone I could talk uh, poetry with, you know, mm. probably not the best way. Um, yeah. But and it is interesting. It is the notion of you know families uh, and that you you come together it's you know it's the pride of lions the pack of wolves the the human family in a sense uh, but it's also that there are people that don't have that um, and mm-hmm. you see it in nature that i think what was i watching recently where you know a bird that's like i don't recognize you as my chick if you're not on the nest mm-hmm. or something like that with this though it's probably just what have i created it's that abomination but i like that that motivation is the monster says you know my first experience was to experience rejection from mm-hmm. my creator effectively yeah, exactly. um and i thought that was uh, really good. I really like the fact as well that, as you were saying, they both are calling one another demon. And obviously, you know, who is more demonic, the monster or the person that created the monster mm-hmm. yeah. in that sense? Um, but I like the fact that Vincent names him Caliban, um, the, from, from, uh, uh, Shakespeare, um, which is a really nice moment. You know, the person that gives him and discovers kindness, um, or allows the monster to discover kindness gives him a new name, mm-hmm. um, which is, is nice, um, as well, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder moving forward, do we call him Caliban, the monster, That's demon? So any one of those three, I reckon, <laughs> is, is good to Caliban's go. definitely more polite. Yeah. But while I do side with him in this argument with Victor Frankenstein, um, there is also a sinister side to him that we can't ignore. Um, there is that moment when they're having that discussion um, between between the two of them and the creature has realized his nature, I suppose. Um, he realizes that immortals are the future because everybody else dies and they don't. Uh, people like him, people are, who are created and don't die. Um, I love that he compares himself to the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. He says, mm. people like That's me good. are steam engines and modernity coming in to flatten the rest of you, effectively. So uh, we will outlive everybody else. And that's why he makes his request. That's why he makes the request for somebody else immortal, a bride of Frankenstein that can live through the life with him and will be a companion to him because everybody else is going to die and he can't live eternally without a companion. I just think it's a, a really good positioning of that of that central part of the Frankenstein mythology, I guess we call it. Yeah, I, I think this is really interesting. I love uh, how he phrases it as well. You know, again, it comes back to the just the dialogue in, in this show uh, where he goes, you know, I am modernity personified, not mm. the antique pastoral age. And I, I, I really like that because, um, you know, Victor is a scientist, but he's also... A romantic poet, um, Caliban, absolutely 
goes with I am modernity. Mm-hmm. I am the industrial revolution. I am the scientific revolution uh, that will move you to one side. Um, and I think that's really important in in this period. And it's kind of why I like this show. It, I, it's why I like uh, sort of books from this period because of the social upheaval and change from the industrial revolution, mm-hmm. urbanization, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but also within science, you know, you had that moment where the arts and sciences were connected. It mm-hmm. was vicars studying the universe through their telescopes, or it was doing anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gradually split where you have these two distinct groups. Uh, there, there, there's a book called Two Cultures about this, which is, which is fascinating. Um, and it, it's Caliban has made his choice mm. i am modernity i am science i am, science, mm. I am industrial uh, victor is almost still of that time where he could conceivably be a poet as much as a scientist or a a vicar in <laughs> you know the parish church doing experiments yeah. um, and i i find that really interesting uh, here mm-hmm. uh, and i like how he's so confident of his place in this new world uh, as as the demon absolutely yeah i i love that dichotomy between uh, victor as the poet and the monster as modernity i, I didn't pick that up but i'm mm-hmm. i love it and i like how uh, as you mentioned derek he sees himself as the steam engine and and you know part of the modern age uh it really does mm-hmm. give it a, a nice little little spin to it what you were mentioning derek about the bride and how caliban is not totally you know, benevolent as well. Mm-hmm. I find it it's it's something from the book, but it's obviously translated over here as well in the fact that he's so alone, right? So you can still sympathize with him because he mm-hmm. is an immortal. He needs someone, but he is in effect asking Victor to curse someone to to yes. live that mm-hmm. that terrible life as well. Previously, what I mentioned about Dorian Gray in, in the previous episode about him just being kind of self-absorbed and not really caring about the other person's feelings. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that here with the, with Caliban, yeah. although in this instance you can relate to him because if he's going to be wandering the earth like Melmoth, you know, um, just mm-hmm. for, for centuries, he'd want a company. he want a companion. Absolutely. So, um, so very, very complex character um, and, again, testament to Shelley's Brilliant, brilliant story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, a massively complex character based on something that, you know, what's our image of Frankenstein? You know, the bolts in the neck, yeah. rah, 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 I'm going to kill the villagers is basically all we have from, you know, Scooby-Doo all the way through to, to the movie <laughs> versions of this character. It's, it's <laughs> the, the monster has never been someone that you would sit down and say have a poetic discourse with mm. about uh, the future and the past and and uh, science and modernity you know it, it, I, I love how, how they've twisted that once again for this show um really good yeah that's that's my my big point for this episode any any notes left absolutely uh, just further to that last point as well with the creature Frankenstein's monster um, reference mm-hmm. to Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein with Robert De Niro. That was a very, right. I found a very great um, or intriguing depiction of the monster by, by De Niro. Um, a lot, mm-hmm. for me, a lot more terrifying than, than Caliban here currently. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but still had the same sort of sympathy, um, with his, with his plight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sticking with Caliban. 
one of the quotes from the episode uh, was very reminiscent to me of Shelley's novel. Uh, he says to Victor, right. you have not known horror until I've shown it to you. Um, very, a very deep threat, I think, as well. Yeah, and that reminded me yeah. of um, this beautiful quote from the, the novel. Um, I have love in me, the likes of which you can scarcely imagine, and rage, the likes of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy the one, I will indulge the other. Um, just nice. beautiful, beautiful yes. writing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And also just to sort of continue that, I think, Ray, as well, there's a really nice line from Victor. Uh, he goes, if you seek to threaten me, threaten me with life. Um, this idea that he, he, you know, he would embrace death, um, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think one of my notes is, you know, I think the young Victor, um, Obsessed by death is probably not right, but just impacted, influenced by, by death from Bradshaw, his dog. Um, mm. and I, I like the way they walk through the, the daffodils again, another little nod to Wordsworth. Yeah. Um, and then coming across the maggot ridden Bradshaw. Yeah. Um, and then his mother who coughs a hell of a load of blood up onto the, the young, uh, Victor. I think that would probably, uh, destroy my life as well. I'd oh, probably yeah. kind of, whether I'd go the same way, but yeah, again, another <laughs> load of blood in the face um, yeah. from from his mother. I know, I know, so, it's a weird thing to point out, but the next scene for him to be wearing a white shirt after that, <laughs> yeah. I thought he, I thought he'd probably choose something different, yeah, a red I, shirt. Maybe. I never yeah. ever want to wear a white shirt again yeah. after that moment. <laughs> um, and the the Grand Guignol Theatre um, that he um, that. Caliban finds as his home um, from Vincent um, is reference, I think, to the theatre of the same name in Paris, which was very well known for um, graphic and amoral horror shows. Right. Um, it was something that the, that Vincent Brand um, says. He goes, oh, "It's all Ibsen now, um, like the the Cherry Orchard uh, and so on." Uh, whereas he then starts talking about Shakespeare, which you know has got Titus Andronicus, mm-hmm. which I think when my mum went to see it at the Globe in London, um, it used the most amount of blood ever on a theatre production uh-huh. uh, because it's so violent. Um, yeah. I, I like the fact that he's saying all all this kind of new fluffy stuff where you've got the raw Shakespearean sort of horror, sex, fear, death, all this. And, and he brings this together in this, what maybe the rest of society thinks uh, as this amoral horror show at the Grand Guignol Theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, I think, explains why in episode four you have Vanessa, Dorian, uh, and Ethan in there. You know, it, it, it's not um, the polite theatre company Absolutely. that you think. This is something much more raucous, yeah. much more yeah. kind of visceral, for everybody. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's the equivalent of the midnight showing at the cinema to the, the, the crap, the crappy film. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Children of the Corn Fall. <laughs> the Urban Harvest. Urban Harvest. It is one of my, it is one of my favorites because it's so awful. Excellent. Any other notes on the episode, guys? Um, no, just a little one, um, about Fenton. Uh, one of my favorite musicians, Tom Waits, portrayed him in mm. Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, oh, fascinating. Yeah, cool. very, very cool. Uh, you know, known, known more for his music. Um, but he, you know, he's got some acting chops. And so he does, uh, yeah. not as terrifying as this by, um, by mm-hmm. Ollie Alexander, but, uh, a worthy, a worthy, um, 
look at. Yeah, also interesting, played by uh, another musician. Oh yes, well, of course. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Good, good catch there, right? I guess. Uh, just one final thing from me as well is that you know we do um, learn here that the 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 creature we see, because Malcolm Murray says, uh, wants you, not Mina, to Vanessa. So again, it's this idea um, that maybe you know that. Mina is this false trail, right. um, that, you know, that, that duplicitousness of, of Malcolm, that he's kind of thinking it's not about his daughter. It, it could be about Vanessa. Mm. Um, and I think we, we get a bit more of that from the next episode that we'll be looking at. Yeah, we do. Yep. Excellent. That's it for our discussion on episode three of Penny Dreadful. Again, if you want to send in your thoughts to us about any of the episodes that we're talking about on Penny Dreadful, you can email us to feedback at TV Podcast Industries. We'd love to hear your thoughts uh, for the next section or any of the episodes of Penny Dreadful. I should mention there's a total of 27 episodes across the three seasons out so far of Penny Dreadful. We're going to try and release three episodes a week up until the release of Penny Dreadful City of Angels on April 26th. Um, So hopefully you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're going to take a little break. Here's a message from Last Sons of Krypton, Ray's other podcast. I am Connor from the House of El. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction, and we have made our home in Australia, and dare I say have become Australians, for better or worse. But we have also decided to read Superman comics, read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me, or whether you are coming in fresh, wide-eyed and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi-weekly adventures available on all good podcast catches. So just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are, that week. Up, 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 up and, and away. away.